this morning we're starting a brand new series. I'm really excited about it. Uh, I, I think it's one of those that, that's really formative uh, for us as a church and uh, really important for us in the stage of, of life or really where we're at uh, culturally-wise, called Lost in Real Life. Uh, definition for loss is simply this, not knowing where you are or how to get where you want to go, um, unable to find your way. And, and as you know, we're not talking about lost in the sense of um, location, geographic. Uh, we're talking about lost in the sense of, of a state of being, of feeling lost in life. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to be hitting uh, what I believe are pretty much six major things that when I sit back and look over the course of years of sitting across the table of a coffee shop with someone talking about life, these are the themes that have repeatedly come up in those conversations where people have felt lost. And so this morning, we're going to talk about uh, uh, the, that sense of lostness of being unfulfilled and the elusive pursuit of happiness. Next week, we'll talk about disappointed and, and how do you find hope uh, in the midst of the heaviness of life. Week three, we'll talk about being disconnected and this weird dichotomy that we live in such a socially connected world. And yet so oftentimes what we find is that, that people feel so alone. How is it that we're so alone in such a socially connected world and feel lost or disconnected. Week four, we'll talk about failure. And, and when life doesn't go according to plan, what do you do when life doesn't go according to plan? And then week five, we'll talk about exhaustion. That's actually Mother's Day. Um, and so... So we put that there just, you know, right there for you. And I know that uh, the hardest, the best, the greatest, the most significant uh, full-time, full-time job is being a mom. And so, uh, no. <laughs> it's already starting early. That's great. <laughs> That's right, too. Uh, and so experiencing rest. You don't want to miss it, Mother's Day. Experiencing rest in the midst of a chaotic world is what we're going to be talking about. And finally, we'll close it out. And I don't know uh, when... Uh, San Jose State's going to be out. I know we got Staters and we got Santa Clara University guys, but this last one, I don't want you guys to miss. We'll figure out the calendar later. Either you can uh, look at it online or whatnot. It's called directionless. Not saying that you are, uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> Well, more you, Roland. I was kind of, you don't miss this one would be great. No, I'm just kidding, partner. But finding clarity in the midst of uncertainty. And, and I can't tell you, especially for those who are in college, early career, uh, but also you get into your 30s. Uh, I've had that conversation so many times about your future. And so uh, that's where we're going in the series this morning. We're going to be talking about uh, unfulfilled and this elusive pursuit of happiness. And uh, I was thinking about a time when I was lost. You know, Steve asked that question. But uh, what I realized uh, is I was looking back, I went all the way back to junior high. And I, I thought this was such a funny story. And it may, not, it may just be funny to me, not to you. So um, laugh just for my own sake would be helpful. Uh, but when I was in junior high, it's what, 13 years of age, I lived in SoCal, uh, right over in Santa Cruz. But I went to school in Scotts Valley. Uh, and so my mom would drive me every day, you know, to Scotts Valley, about a 15-20 minute drive. And one particular morning we heard that there was an accident on the 17th. Yes, I say the 17th because I say it properly and kind of 
SoCal version right there. Uh, but on 17, or the 17, uh, as we're there, we heard this accident. So I told my mom, I convinced my mom. At 12 years or 13 years of age, I knew the back way from SoCal to Scotts Valley. And she just so sweet. Ryan, now Ryan, how could you know the back way? Mom, I've done it before. I've, I've never driven in. I'm 13. Mom, I've done it before. I know exactly how to go. Now, I, I don't believe there actually is a back way, you know, to Scotts Valley from SoCal. I was poorly mistaken. Uh, and so she trusts me takes me at my word. In fact, to this day, my mom thinks I've never done anything wrong. Thank you very much. Uh, but, but so she trusts me. We drive, and we end up in the Santa Cruz Mountains for about two and a half hours. <laughs> Absolutely lost. We eventually find our way back, and we cross back our house. <laughs> this is where we were came. And so by that time, traffic had cleared up. Got, and I got to school at a lovely time of just around lunchtime, you know. And as I think about this concept, lost in real life, and and this parallel between being physically lost and this being uh, emotionally lost, or or being lost in the in the course of our life, I, I think there's such great parallels for us to look at navigation-wise and why we're actually lost in real life, or how we get lost in real life, and we get lost. Uh, I, I think oftentimes because, one, we took bad directions. We took directions from a 12-year-old, you know, about a back way that doesn't exist. And, and we're going to hit some of these over the course of this series. Uh, you know, and one we'll hit in a few weeks is, you know, it's just not, it doesn't hurt anyone else, so it's okay. You know, and that sends us in so many destructive patterns or ways, or, or another one we hear all the time in culture, maybe bad directions that we hear here, is, um, you know what, hey, hey, just follow your heart. Yeah, it's, hey, no, 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 no. Uh, well, what, what does your heart tell you? And, and I can be honest and say that as a young teenage boy, if I followed my heart, that was not a good line of logic. As a college person, if I followed my heart, it was not a good line of logic. As a dad, still to this day, that still is not a helpful line of logic. It's bad direction. We often get lost because we have bad direction or had no direction whatsoever. That you just don't know where to go. No one ever told you how. So many conversations about this. No, no one ever told me how to do a relationship I never saw it growing up, and, and everything I saw, I don't want to repeat or imitate. How, how do we do relationships? No, no one ever told me, you know, how to manage money and how to steward what I have, and so when I showed up to college and they were offering all those credit cards, that sounded awesome, free money, and I just cha-ching, cha-ching, and no one ever told me how, and so I end up lost as a result. And so we get lost because of bad directions, no direction, but then, then the third one, Man, it's so convicting to me. We get lost because we ignored good directions. Oh, you know, and someone just had that one piece of advice, and this happens all through the course of our lives at different stages of our lives, doesn't it? But someone said something, and you look back, and you just ignored it. You just dismissed it. You just didn't. You said, no, 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 I know better. No, 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 I want to do it my way. No, no, no. Uh, you know what? I, I think I can get there. Uh, 
The earliest memory of this for me was um, when I was in high school and my first girlfriend, you know, and my dad is telling me all the things that I would experience. And I think that's partly why we ignore some good advice is we don't like who the advice is coming from sometimes, isn't it true? You know, and so, uh, you know, he's telling me, son, I know this is your first girlfriend. I'm 16 years of age. And he's like, all right. You know, what you're going to feel is like you're in love. And I'm like, I am in love, you know. And, and he's like, but you're not in love. And I'm like, no, 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 I am in love. And, and you're going to think you're the exception to the rule that this will last forever. And in my head, I I mean, I had this incredible silent argument with my dad, never saying a word and just going, yes, dad, yes. But in my heart, I'm going, no, dad, no. I am the exception to the rule. This will last forever. We have so much in common. We both love VW buses. How could it go wrong? And we get lost. We get lost in life because we either took bad directions. We either had no directions, no, nobody to show us, to help us, or, or, or we simply ignored good directions. Proverbs talks a lot about this, about directions. In fact, I'd encourage you sometime, if you do this, maybe even this month, uh, you can read a proverb a day, uh, one chapter, it's 31 chapters, and, and just go through and take a pen, and I, I do this in my Bible with Proverbs, and so I, I do a specific theme for a different color, so when it talks about wealth, I'll underline under green so that I can go back and look through it, but this is just like pithy, good advice. I would go through Proverbs, and if you just do this, and just circle every place it talks about path or your way, because actually the Proverbs and the wisest man on the face of the planet talks a lot about our path and a lot about our way, a lot about our direction in life, because the direction you're heading determines your destination, not the good intentions you have on the destination. And so that's why the King Solomon talks, the wisest man that walked this planet, a lot about your and my way. He said this, there is a way, there is a path, there is a direction that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. Later on in that same chapter, he says, a simple man believes anything, takes any advice, takes any input, doesn't discern from which uh, or from where uh, the direction is coming. And so if it's said here, said there, there is little discernment. But a prudent man gives thought to his steps, gives thought to the direction he's headed. A prudent man is simply this. A prudent person uh, understands that all of life is connected. They understand that your past decisions impact your future destination. Uh, a prudent man understands that, that all of life is completely connected, and so as a, as a result, is thoughtful about the next steps, is thoughtful about where they're headed. And so, as we begin this morning, we're going to talk about this whole idea of unfulfilled. Maybe you showed up this morning, and you feel lost in life, and maybe you took some bad directions. Maybe you have no directions, or maybe ignored some good directions, but, but as a result, you walked in empty. You walked in unfulfilled. You walked in with some hopes and some dreams and some things that you deeply, deeply long for, and yet they just haven't come about. 
And we're talking about this elusive, what I call the elusive pursuit of happiness. And have you ever stopped? I mean, this is what this morning's for, to stop and just think for a second. Why is it that happiness seems or is so elusive? That's so fleeting. That, that is here today, gone tomorrow. Why, why is it that like true happiness, that pursuit, uh, that, that it seems like you just never quite arrive? It, it always feels a little bit like the, um, you, you know, the carrot in front of the, uh, the, the horse, and it's just right in front of you, but you just never quite arrive. Maybe another way to ask the question is, um, why is it, and this is especially for Silicon Valley, why is it that your life is so full, full with kids, full with work, full with all the things that you've put in it, full with fun, and yet you feel unfulfilled. Have you ever just kind of stopped to ask that question? And what is it about the elusive pursuit? Why is, why is it that happiness is so elusive? Uh, maybe let's just examine then pers- uh, just the direction that we've taken for happiness, the directions that, that are, I would say, are common, that, that we hear repeated over and over in our culture by our friends, maybe even by family, for, certainly by media and whatnot, and we just simply begin to examine, okay, if we, if we long for this happiness, this really fulfilled life, why aren't we experiencing it, and could it be that we've received some maybe bad Directions. Uh, it's the uh, current directions for happiness. It's in your notes here. Uh, first part, step one, is the purpose of life is to be happy. That's the end goal. In fact, uh, I think in church world, we might argue with that a little bit. But if asked, many times when parents are asked, what do you want for your kids? Our answer would be this many times. We want our, I just want my kid to be happy. That, that, the, that the chief pursuit and purpose of life is to be happy. And if you're religious, if you're spiritual, uh, you may say it this way, then if that's the purpose of life, then God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be, live this happy, fulfilled life. And so, and so how do we get happiness? Well, well, well when I get blank, and you fill in the blank, because we all have a different blank, then I'll be happy. You know, for some, it's, it's when I get that career. You know, when, when, when I finally get the dream job, then I'll be happy. Or when I get uh, that relationship, that, that mate, then I'll be happy. When I work my way up in the career, then I'll be happy. When, when, I, when I drive the right car, you know, right now is not the right car, and I can, I'm just ashamed to go anywhere, and I, I actually Uber everywhere just so that people don't see my car, but, but when I drive the right car, then I'll be happy, then I'll be fulfilled, or when I own, you know, I'm a renter now, uh, when I own, then I'll be happy. Well, you fill in the blank. So the purpose of life to be happy, God wants me to be happy, then when I get blank, then I'll be happy, and so as a result, do what makes you happy. Just do it. And, and, and this is the, the directions in our life. Whatever, whatever makes me happy is right. And, and anything that makes me unhappy then must be wrong. 
Now, if we get to the end of that and you do what makes you happy, but you're unfulfilled, if unfulfilled, simply repeat steps one, two, three, and four. And you go back and over and over. And so you go back, well, the purpose of life is to make me happy. Okay, well, God wants me to be happy. Well, all right, if God wants me to be happy, then, then whatever makes me happy, I should do. And, you know, whatever makes me happy, well, my, I, I, thought, I thought this house would be, make me happy, but you know what? Selling this house would make me happy because, wow, this is a pain. Or, you know what? I, I thought this relationship or this spouse would make me happy, but you know what? She would make me more happy than her. And so, and so I'm going to do what makes me happy. And then we live in this constant cycle, don't we? Could it be? Could it be that we've gotten bad directions in answering the question, maybe happiness isn't the right question, in answering the question, how do I experience the fullness of life? Now, I'd like to suggest three critical course directions for us. Three things to just begin to alter maybe uh, the direction. If you find when you're talking about your current direction of happiness, you know, like, I, I, Ingram, I, I kind of bought into that, and uh, I've definitely done some of those things in certain areas of life. Could I just suggest a few critical course uh, corrections? And, and what I want to say here is if you come in the way I would come in, I've done my research. So I would come into this, especially if I was real skeptical of church. I'm a skeptic at heart. And so I would have my arms like this, and i go, I don't trust anything the preacher dude's saying. And, and then he's going to use the Bible to back up everything he says, right? And, and so, I mean, how do I know that this is actually, uh, you said, okay, ignored good directions. How do I know this is good directions? How do I am actually discerning of that? Well, I got to tell you, here's what's been amazing. I've done so much research in the area of psychology, in the area of happiness this last week. Um, I can answer you some really random things about what are the happiest jobs and the most unhappiest jobs in the uh, country and some of those sort of things. But here's what we found. The best research of our day actually agrees with what Jesus said over 2,000 years ago. The best clinical research and studies that we've seen, and I'll share some of that with you, actually lines up with what Jesus had already been saying a long time ago. Let me give you three critical course corrections. First course correction is this. The pursuit of happiness is the problem. We've made it the end goal. And, and notice this, just real quick in that statement. Happiness isn't the problem. It's the pursuit of of happiness. It's pursuing happiness as if it's the purpose of life that is problematic. Happiness is an incredible byproduct. It's just a terrible end goal. In fact, one uh, incredibly noted uh, psychologist, neurologist, Holocaust survivor wrote one of the preeminent works of the 20th century. Uh, Dr. Viktor Frankl says this, it is the very pursuit of happiness that thwarts happiness. Hmm. Now, let me give you a few reasons why. First reason, the pursuit of happiness is the problem is, and when you pursue happiness, it, it tells you that difficult is bad. 
It tells you that difficult is bad. If it's hard, it can't be good. If it's painful, then, then it doesn't make you happy. Immediate gratification is the thing that you hold up as the ultimate purpose. And so you go from one thing to the next. In fact, psychologists talk over and over how, how those who pursue happiness live a deeply narcissistic, shallow existence. Because, because if happiness is your end goal, then difficult is bad. As a result, it leaves us dissatisfied with life. You're always living with this next, this next mentality, because it is, it is a byproduct of life, but when it's the in pursuit, it is never fully fulfilled, and so that one thing won't fulfill it, and so you go on to the next thing, and when I get this, and when I get that, and so it, difficult is bad, it leaves you dissatisfied with life, and, and then it creates a disillusionment with God, especially for those of us who would say, you know what, I mean, this doesn't this sound good. God wants me happy. I mean, how could a good God not want me happy? Well, well, to be honest, he doesn't want you happy when it hurts other people. When your happiness hurts other people, God doesn't want you actually happy. But we get disillusioned with God in this way. If God wants me happy and I am not, then God failed me. And we begin to put all the blame of our life on to God and go, God, you're supposed to make me happy, wealthy, and wise, and it's not happening. And as a result, we get disillusioned with God. Delay, discomfort, risk, inconveniences, and obstacles can't be the will of God. And how many times do we hear this? And someone hits an obstacle and says, well, when God closes the door, he opens a window. I don't even know what that means. But we couldn't experience hard times and it be God's will and his purpose and how he's going to shape and refine us because God wants me happy. And as a result, it leaves us disillusioned with God. Well, the best psychologist of the day or one of the most profound thinkers says this, the very pursuit of happiness that thwarts happiness. This is what Jesus says. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. And then this profound question that you have to wrestle with. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, to chase all the elusive carrots in front of you, to always run after and go, okay, the career, okay, the house, okay, the job, okay, you know, success, okay, and and you run after all of it. What good is that? And yet lose or forfeit their very self, their very soul. See, Jesus would say, happiness isn't a bad thing. In fact, it's, it's part of the journey. It's just a terrible goal. And here's one of the things that we look into, a critical course correction uh, to make us happy. Is that, okay, because it's our end goal, we subtly believe this. And this is both in the church and outside the church. And, and we just got to look at this by how we live, is that money and things won't make you happy. 
In fact, the best research of our day, uh, literally, they did a 75-year research project, uh, studied, uh, I forget the exact amount, I think it was like 285, it was men, because it started in the 1930s at Harvard. It cost $20 million to do this research. It's called the Grants um, study, the Harvard Grant study, and they studied happiness and over the course of a life, and one of their big, profound, aha, $20 million uh, things that came out of that was that money and things won't make you happy. Uh, Jesus said that a little bit over 2,000 years ago. He said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, no one would say they're greedy. We don't see it. Greed is, is the consuming of never having enough. That elusive carrot in front of you and that draw towards that to make you happy, that is the inkling of greed in our soul, by the way. For life does not consist. Life, our life, the one that, that we long for, is not made up of, does not revolve around an abundance of possessions. He says, stuff will never satisfy, will never fulfill the deep things of your soul. No thing, no car, or nobody will at all. And here's why. Here's why. Third course correction. You can't fill a spiritual void with a physical solution. You cannot, and here's, here's why we keep running and what happens and why we get caught in the happiness uh, cycle of life and we come to the end of each pursuit unfulfilled and just repeat and do the same thing is we're simply trying to fulfill a spiritual void with a physical solution and it's impossible. In fact, uh, our psychologist, uh, Dr. Roy Ballmeister, he's a, a leading expert, especially in the area of positive uh, psychology. He, he writes this, what sets human beings apart from animals is not the pursuit of happiness, but the pursuit of meaning. We are all on this pursuit of meaning. Every single one of us is longing for something to bring purpose to our lives. And so we look to something, whether it's the car, whether it's success, whether it's, or someone, maybe it's that relationship. And so we, we put it in and go, okay, when I get that, then I'll be fulfilled. And the problem, what's problematic is you will spend your whole life searching and trying to fill, and it's a void that cannot be filled and will never be filled by physical things. Jesus said it this way. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. His righteousness is simply God's way of life. That's it. It's his kingdom because it's all about him and he's the king. He's actually the center of the story. Life makes sense by the way, when we're not the center, when we live in the happiness life, it's all about me. Think about happiness. H-A-P-I, right? Me, in the middle, N-E-S-S. Doesn't quite work fully, but you know where I'm getting. <laughs> if you're bad at math, it works really good. <laughs> but happiness is always about me 
in the center. And life functions best when you understand who the story of history is all about. And he says, but seek first my kingdom. Seek first my agenda, my plan. Order your life around me. And as you order your life around me, says this, and my righteousness, the way I've designed life to operate, that's what righteousness is, the right way of life, the way God actually designed it. Could you imagine that there are paths that God's actually designed to bring fulfillment and purpose and peace to your life? And you go, because it's about his kingdom, because he created me and all that I see and know, and then his way makes most sense in actually going through this life. And the reason we find ourselves unfulfilled is because we actually put our hope in things that will never fulfill this physical stuff. Could it be? Could it be that if you walked in this room and you're, you, you go like, I've been on the happiness cycle, could it be that you feel unfulfilled because you're filling your life with things that will never fulfill you? They're just too small. They're just too small to actually fulfill and bring purpose to your life. God says, okay, if you would, if you would order your life with me, then then one of the byproducts of it, doesn't mean all the time, but one of the byproducts is you will experience happiness on the journey. But the biggest thing, you'll experience peace on the journey, joy on the journey, hope on the journey. On the journey. Three critical course corrections. First, the pursuit of happiness is the problem. Money and things won't make you happy, and you can't fill a spiritual void with a physical solution. I'd like to suggest uh, maybe, maybe three uh, practices as we close. I call them the paradox of the fulfilled life. Because what I find is, and what we find, is when you actually look at what fulfills you and what really brings uh, wholeness of life, it's counterintuitive, isn't it? And and if you ever read the Gospels, and we just taught through the Gospel of Mark, and you read through the Gospels, what, what you'll find is Jesus is teaching, turn our world upside down. And he says really crazy stuff, like the, if you want to be first, you got to be last. And he, he talks about that being the fulfilled life. He's, he talks about the fulfilled life, and we just read it, that if you want to save your life, you have to lose it for my sake. It's just this counterintuitive way of life. But, but if you're here and there's this inner struggle, here's what I just say. How is the way you're going about life working? Is it working for you? If not, you might want to try it out. And and I chose uh, three specific passages out of the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians is this incredible book. I I love it. It's where Paul's writing. He's actually uh, in jail, in Rome, in prison, writing to the city of Philippi that is incredibly wealthy, incredibly influential. And, And these people have everything. And yet the central theme of this book it is as my college pastor at the church I went to in college in Chicago, Harvest, for, I know Steve's been there. Central, and he said it this way. The whole series is called this. I choose joy. 
the central message is that you can have it all, but the choices you make, and you can have none of it, but the choices you make determine the joy level in your life. And by the way, we live in a world that wants to abdicate responsibility. If I'm not happy, it's your fault. If I'm not happy because circumstances didn't work out my way, and what the Bible's going to tell us, what he's, God's going to invite us in is to deliberately choose. You are not a passive sojourner in this life, but you're an active participant in the story of God, and your choices matter. And no one can choose your attitude for you but you. So, a few paradoxes to a fulfilled life. First paradox is would you choose, would you choose to be a giver, not just a taker? Be a giver, not just a taker. The paradox is, is to be really fulfilled, I gotta get me fulfilled. And Jesus would say, hey, we're gonna flip this upside down and when you give, it actually fulfills you. And Jesus would say it this way, it's more blessed to give than receive. Paul says it this way, therefore, if anyone has any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mine. So he starts off with, this is all that you already have. And that's one of the things we miss a lot, isn't it? All that we already have. If you have any comfort, any peace, any joy, any love, if you have all of this, think about this, all that you already have in Christ, in the community of Christ, in the body of Christ, he says this now. He's going to say it this way. Do nothing out of selfish ambition about me, my needs, my advancement, or vain conceit rather in humility, value others above yourself. It's not that other people are more valuable than you, but you treat them as they're more, as if they're more valuable than you. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others, where you'd say, okay, in Jesus, you know what I have? In my relationship with God, you know what I have? I have been encouraged with being united with the God of the universe. I, I have the common spirit, and he lives inside of me. I experience love and peace, and as a result, out of that relationship, I can give to others. I don't have to take from others. I can treat others as more valuable than me because I've already had the affirmation of the king of the universe declaring my value. So I'm not somehow trying to push others down to push me up because God has already lifted me up. Come on, I was waiting for an amen right there. That was good. All right. I've seen this over and over in church world. And, and I, I just want to pick on a, a group, maybe the 20s. Sorry. It, it's all across, though. It's all across. But I've worked for the last 15 years with 20-year-olds. And, and you know what I've watched? I've watched some amazing, gifted, talented, pe talented people never get to use their gifts or talents. Because I've watched them show up, and we used to do a Sunday night thing especially. I watched them show up, and oh, this is so good. And they met incredible friends. In fact, many of them are now roommates, and they've met an amazing woman or guy, and now they're married. 
And, and they hang out. I've watched this so many times. They've hung out and taken from awakening without realizing how much they've gotten, how much encouragement, how much development. And at some point, you can only take so much until you realize, and, and this is the phrase, uh, it just doesn't meet my needs anymore. I'm like, yeah, you know why? Because you took everything you could. We have nothing left to give, but our community, our body is missing out because it won't meet your needs until you give. Would you choose, would you choose to be a giver, not a taker? The second paradox is then choose contentment over comparison. Contentment over comparison. Paul says later on in the epistle, I am not saying this because I need, and the conversation here, by the way, is uh, of, of the Philippian church giving money to him. I'm not saying this because I am need, for I have learned. I love that. Just I bolded it in your notes, but you may even want to circle it. Learned. It's a process of coming to know. Process. I've learned to, now be content. Circle be content. It's a state of being. It's something that you can do. Doesn't say be happy. I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned, I've learned, I've learned the secret of being content hmm. in any in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. Now, now this next line, this is the most often misquoted verse, I think, in the Bible. Because the next line, and, and I love how the, the new NIV has restated it. So uh, we've often heard it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or gives me strength. And we quote it in all these grandiose places. And you know where Paul is quoting it? In the context of being content. He says, I can do all this. Not because I'm strong, but because I have a strong God. I can do all this because God gives me strength. That's how I can do it. I don't know how you can do it, but I can do it because God gives me strength. That's how, that's how I am content in a world that is constantly pressuring me to be discontent, that's constantly pressuring me to compare with everyone around me. Comparison is the enemy of joy in our lives, by the way. And we live in a world where we constantly compare Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And you know what we compare? We compare everyone else's highlight reels, don't we, to our real life. And we go, oh, my life must not be good. My life must not be good. I, I must be doing something wrong. Look, look at that. And, and it's, their, it's not even just their highlight reels anymore. It's their filtered highlight reels. Now you put some sepia tone on it. And wow, it looks way cooler than it actually was. And I choose. I choose. It's a daily choice. It's something you get to choose to be, not something that happens to you. I choose today to be content. I choose today to silence the voice of comparison in my life. I choose. I choose. So you get to make some choices that are fundamental to being fulfilled and walking in the fulfillment of life in God. I choose. I choose to be a giver, not a taker. I choose. I choose to be content, not compare. And finally, I choose gratefulness instead of griping. Paul, a little bit earlier, a few verses earlier, says this, rejoice in the Lord always. 
I, I looked up that word always. You know what it means? Always, like like all the time, like like whether it's going good or whether it's going bad, whether, whether the project and your boss is a jerk or it's amazing, whether things are working out the way you really want them to or they're not. Rejoice not in your circumstances, in the Lord who is Lord over all life. That is the focus and that is the place of being thankful, grateful, is in the Lord, in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always, and he couldn't help himself, I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, because you know when we get anxious, we just start to gripe. When we get anxious, we go horizontal, don't we? See, instead of going to God, we go to others, and we tell others how bad our lives are. We tell others how, how annoying that person is. We tell others how unfair our workplace is. He says, do not be anxious in anything. Don't go horizontal, but in every situation, go vertical by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. And he says, in that moment, he will do a supernatural work when you make that choice to be grateful, thankful, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard. And that word guard is the same idea of a centurion that stands guard at your heart and your soul and will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I choose gratefulness instead of griping. You know, uh, my kids, every once in a while, every, every once in a while, not very, not very often, they, uh, hmm, they, they get a little gripey, <laughs> especially after a you know, long weekend or we did it. And so all of a sudden, we'll hear all these complaints. And I'm like, yeah, but you just got ice cream, buddy. But, but I didn't get all the flavors I wanted. I'm like, yeah, but you, you, you just got to go play this. Yeah, but I didn't get to. And in our car, we, we make it this habit that anytime we get into a griping mode, we, we make our kids literally say three things they're thankful for. Like, you're not allowed to talk until you can say three things you're, you're grateful for, that you're thankful for. And, and I just got to tell you, it will change your entire outlook on your life, on your family, if you started and ended every day with what you're grateful for. I personally am a realist. Not a pessimist, a realist. So I happen to see life as it really is, and sometimes that's hard. I have to, by the way. It is a discipline of my life. Every morning I have a journal. I don't know what works for you. This is what works for me. And in my journal, I start this way. Thank you, Lord, for. And sometimes it's really hard. And I just start with whatever's most basic. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for this place I live. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you for my family. Thank you. And I just begin to list it. And I have to remind myself uh, every day as a reset of my soul because my kilter, and I don't know about yours, probably not, but my kilter is more towards the realist side. How about you? Three paradoxes. 
to stepping into the fulfilled life. All are choices. What, what will you choose? Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for this morning. Thanks for this time. Thank you. Thank you that as we come to you, we can get good advice. And that the advice that you've given us, it leads to a full life. God, would you cause us this week to run to you, to step into the paradox? May we be a people so full of you that it just, it catches people off guard. In Jesus' name.